Welcome to the GAIN Service Academy Admission Podcast. In these episodes, we will explore all things related to gaining a coveted appointment to the Air Force Academy, Naval Academy, and West Point. And here are your hosts, Rob Kirkland and Trish Penroth. Hey, welcome to the uh, GAIN Service Academy Admission Podcast. Uh, so we're good today, we're going to talk about congressional nominations. But before we do, how you doing, Trish? I'm doing great. How are you, Rob? <laughs> All right. Down to business, baby. That's what I'm talking about here. <laughs> Let's so, do it. Let's do it. <laughs> you know, us people in the military, we don't, you know, chit chat for too long. We just like <laughs> to give out the information and uh, jump right in, know, jump right in and make sure that people understand what this is about here today. So what we're really uh, speaking about today is getting a congressional nomination. And, uh, you know, so I guess what we should say first, at least, is what it's not. And what I wanted to do first was kind of break out, um, you know, how people get appointments to service academies. Now, we're not talking about, we're going to probably talk about Merchant Marine separately, but Army, Navy, and Air Force, all right? And so, a typical class at a service academy, one of those three service academies is 1,200 people, 1,200 people, all right? So what we're talking about is about 900 people or applicants that get their appointments through a congressional nomination, 900. Now, the other 300 is service-connected, and that is mainly presidential children of of military personnel, which is 100 total, uh, regular regular uh, and reserve components of the service that were uh, that are concerned there, which is basically 190 uh, or 108, 170, I'm sorry, 170. Then uh, ROTC and junior ROTC schools, about 20, Sons and daughters of deceased 100% disabled veterans, about 15, and children of Medal of Honor winners, unlimited. Uh, so that makes up the 300. But we're so about a 25% of a class is going to come from non congressional slots, non congressional slots. So that's important to understand, you know, in this kind of, but we're not going to talk about that today. What we're going to talk about today is people who don't fall into the service-connected piece, which is the congressional nominations, the congressional nominations. Which so, makes up about 75%. Right, right, yeah. So it's it's quite a bit. So I mean, so this, and this is what the majority of, I, of our listeners, well, actually almost all of our listeners are certainly concerned about. So keep your ears peeled. <laughs> that's right. So good. So so what are we talking about here, Trish, as far as like when we talk about congressional, what does it mean and why does it matter? Well, it matters because you're not, unless you're in, you fall into that other 25%, you're not legally permitted to enter a service academy mm-hmm. without one of those congressional nominations. So you have to have that nomination in order to receive the appointment. Okay. And, you know, that starts out with the, the application process. You, well, those key terms that are important to understand is you become a candidate when you apply to the service academy. You uh, Once you receive your nomination, then you're legally 
qualified to become an appointee, assuming that the admissions board at each of these schools decides that you're qualified for this. Right. So are you telling me, Trisha, that getting an appointment is harder than getting a nomination? (laughs) (laughs) I think the nomination is pretty key. (laughs) Yeah, you got to get it. But, you know, it's but you get but a lot more people get nominated than they get and then get appointed. This is true. This is very true. So if we break it down and uh, as far as, you know, what what does each member of Congress uh, what are they authorized at at the academy? So we're talking about is 435 members of the House, 100 senators. So that's 535. And then I think there's a cup, one from D.C., one from the Virgin Islands, one from Guam, one from Puerto Rico. Um, so about 541 total. But how many people are authorized uh, for each member of Congress and those additional people I just referred to. So when you think about your members of Congress, you have your two senators and your local representative for your state. So you're talking about three people that you're qualified to receive a nomination from. And each one of those three people is legally authorized to have five nominations filled at any one time. And traditionally, you'll talk, you'll see most members of Congress, they have three to four filled slots, and then they have one to two vacancies to make up those, those five slots that they're allowed to fill. And each vacancy that they have per year, they can nominate 10 candidates for. Right. And so, yeah, from what I, from what we've seen, most have their four complement at the academy at the time. At the time, some even have more than four, and we'll explain a little bit later how that's possible that they can have more than four uh, people at the academy at the same time. But most have four. That means that uh, that there's that they have one uh, person that they can have get an appointment and attend the academy, but they can nominate ten, but only one is guaranteed a admission in a particular uh, application year unless they have two slots and then they can nominate, like you said, they can nominate 20 and that means that two can uh, attend. So they're guaranteed guaranteed one each. So, you know, so that's, I think, an interesting piece there. So, you know, so that means you're nominating 10. Let's just say they have one. Let's say they have four attending the academy and then one that they can give for an app for, for the applicants that are applying that are seniors in high school. So Trish, are what we saying here that only one goes and what happens to the other nine? Well, depending on how qualified they are, they could be racked and stacked by the academy. Uh, and put onto the NWL or the national waiting list. Right. And we're going to talk about that later. So that's the national waiting list has another 359 appointments. So that means that if you're one of those other nine individuals that uh, does not get that appointment from that congressional district, you have a shot at getting it, as you said, Trish, under the national waiting list. And that is 359 of the total. So that's close to a third of actually right around a third are actually aren't the primary person from each congressional district, but yet are um, on that what you call the NLW. 
Those are pretty good odds. I like those odds. Yeah, I do. I like them too. So, so I think that's, I think a good um, segue, I think into a uh, kind of how members of Congress can direct the service academies to choose who that one special person is, right? Who gets that guaranteed appointment to the academy, right? That's that one person out of the 10 that up to 10 that they can nominate. Uh, that, that It gets that golden ticket to get into the service academy. So let's talk about uh, the three different options that uh, members of Congress have. And uh, do you want to take that, uh, Trish? Sure. I'll let you have that one. Sure, absolutely. Let's talk about the least restrictive, which allows the admissions boards at each service academy to have the most um, leeway in terms of who they're going to choose. And that is the competitive nomination where the member of Congress selects 10 candidates and sends their names over in no particular order to the admissions board. And then at the, at that school, that, that particular school, they're going to use the process that they've designed to rack and stack and select the most uh, qualified candidate from that list of 10 names. Right. And uh, we just happen to have a whole candidate score for calculator for West Point and a selection composite score calculator for the Air Force Academy to see where you rank. Perfect. Yeah. Yes. So you can get an idea of, of how you'd rack and stack compared to other students who've uh, actually applied and been appointed to each of those academies. Yeah. And so I did some counting before this podcast here today, uh, you know, manual counting of the lists that I have. And I found out, Trish, that 66% of all members of Congress do it by the competitive nomination. Wow. So you have a good chance of just being selected more or less by the admissions board at each academy. Right. So that's um, a good thing. So, or I guess it depends. I don't know if it's a good thing or bad thing, but it's just that the academy gets to choose you and they base it upon the whole candidate score, the whole the, the whatever the ways that the academy does to weigh weigh their candidates through you know the various measures you know SAT scores rank in class extracurriculars sports and all the other things interview and all the other things that they use yeah so what is option numero dos <laughs> <laughs> option two is principal nominee Ooh. where the member of Congress chooses their um, their favorite, if you will. And then that person is the first person from the district offered an appointment if the service academy deems them fully qualified. But after that person, those other nine names, they're just given in no particular order to the service academy and they can choose from the alternates. Hmm. Boy, how do you get to become the principal nominee? I want, I want that. Yes. I think you probably impress the panel, the interview panel. Uh-huh. And probably have good, you know, you probably have a high um, whole candidate score or selection composite score and then you impress, impress the committee. Well, I got a story of a candidate from a district that uh, I uh, uh, advised over the past few years that uh, I don't believe this candidate was the top person uh, with the whole candidate score or anything like that. But this person had a great interview and really impressed the committee. And guess what? They, the Congress, the member of Congress made 
this candidate the principal nominee. Wow. And wow, guess what? Fantastic. This person's at the academy now. <laughs> Even okay. though probably this person wouldn't have gotten an appointment if they were under the competitive nomination category. Very interesting. So where you live matters. Yeah. You know, if you live in certain parts of the country or in certain congressional districts, there may be very few people or the congressional district may have uh, uh, maybe principal. And if mm. that's principal and you impress that uh, mem- that committee uh, or the member of Congress, then that's the golden ticket for you. Absolutely. So that's around 25%. Wow. 25%. So a quarter. Now, almost all senators are under competitive. There's only a few s- senators that use the principal or principal number of alternates. So that means that that percentage for members of the House is probably even higher, more like probably 35%. Yeah. If I had to, if I had to guess, I didn't run the numbers there, but a lot more members of the House use principal. Very interesting. That's, that's great to know. Is there any way that people can find out what their, uh, what option their member of Congress uses? Well, they can become a client of our uh, of our uh, of the Cert- Gain Service Academy Consulting, and we can we can guide the person through that uh, because I have all that information. Or they can just simply contact their member of Congress and ask. Very good information to have. <laughs> okay, option three. This would be the most restrictive, where yeah. the member of Congress gives the service academy the least leeway in terms of who they're going to choose from from that list of 10 and uh, the principal nominee with numbered alternates, which the member of Congress gives an, a very specific order to each service academy ranked one through 10 and the service academy must go through each name and decide is this person qualified or not? If they are, they get the appointment. If they are not, they go to number two and so on and so forth. Yeah. You know, it's a question of, you know, why the heck would uh, they want to do that number of one through 10? And, you know, there's a number of reasons, but one of the one, one of the ones that I've, I've heard is if um, a candidate, uh, you know, the top candidate has a, has a nomination through something else or as a recruited athlete, there may be, they may have a reason to want to move up somebody to be considered to be higher up. I see. So that way, number two, is technically their number one. Correct. Ah, okay. Correct. Right. So, so they can have more control over the, uh, over who gets an appointment than say just through a principal nomination, you know, particularly if they have somebody that is, uh, you know, that they know is going to get in that has a, a, a nomination say through like, an example may be somebody, you know, who has a presidential nomination, who's a child of a military personnel. Mm-hmm. Um, so they know that they're going to get the appointment through uh, the presidential nomination. Um, then, uh, you know, then they may, you know, number it in such a way that gives an advantage to somebody who only has a nomination through the congressman. So it's sort of, there's a lot of different ways, but I mean, that's probably the least, uh, uh, amount of um, of people that do that of members of Congress, I'd say it's somewhere around ten percent. Because most so of these people probably trust the process, right? And they're going to trust the service academy to choose the most qualified candidates. 
Yeah. Do you, what do you think the Academy likes the most? In terms of? It turns up the option. Oh, definitely the (laughs) (laughs) least restrictive or the competitive nomination. That way they get to choose. Right. And that's, you know, because, you know, that's, well, that's what Coast Guard Academy has. They have, they have competitive, they have, they have no nomination process and it's a direct admission. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, I think the other academies would probably kill to have something that the Coast Guard Academy has because sometimes the dynamic you get is in certain areas of the country uh, with this nomination process, you get uh, candidates that aren't, aren't as qualified as people from other parts of the country. So is there any examples you can think of where that may be the case, uh, Trish? Well, let's see. I mean, the just the number, the purely the number of population-based mm-hmm. states, right? Like where you have California, where there's more than 50 state representatives. Um, and, um, you know, even though it's your local representative, there's just like so many people at the service academies from those larger states. And it's also like very highly populated there. So you're competing against a lot more people and therefore you're probably going to get higher quality candidates versus a low populated state like North Dakota, for instance. Right. Or like Vermont or something Mm -hmm. like that. And then you look at like, you know, congressional districts that have like, uh, that are, you know, that are, have a high per capita, you know, where there's like, you know, a lot of people who have, you know, a lot more high quality schools or people who are, you know, in congressional districts near Washington, D.C., where it's highly competitive. Yeah. And so, you know, there's a certain you know, advantages and disadvantages. And the problem with, you know, with these low competitive districts or districts that is that, you know, they oftentimes have candidates to get the appointment where candidates from other areas miss out on the appointment because they're just uh, in more competitive districts. Where lots of people are aware of the service academies uh-huh. or, you know, and the military influence there is a lot higher. So people are just more aware that the service academy opportunities exist. Yeah. And I ran into that when I was uh, getting my uh, nomination to West Point from Albany, New York, where I grew up. That's real close to West Point. A lot of people know about West Point. And our congressman uh, uh, nominated all 10 uh, easily to West Point. And so, you know, I think we sent maybe five of the 10 that year. It was really a lot. So, you know, obviously a lot of qualified. And I was one of those kind of off the national waiting list, the NLW. So, um, but you know, another one would be like Maryland, DC area for Naval Academy, Colorado for Air Force Academy, you know, people who are closer to the Academy generally may be more inclined to going that to that Academy because it's closer. Yeah. So now what are some things that you can do to beef up your chances to actually receive one of these nominations? Well, you know, I'd say that, um, you know, first of all, you know, when I, when I talk to candidates, first of all, what I want to know is which option are they under? That's the first thing that I want to know, because if they're under the principal or principal nominee with number alternates, I know that, and, and they may have a shot at that principal. We want to go all out on that interview and, and do everything that we possibly can to get that be that principal nominee. So that's the first thing that I want, want to find out. The second thing 
that I want to find out is, has the member of Congress nominated all 10? Because if they've nominated less than all 10, that it, that indicates to me that there's going to be slots available um, for that particular service academy. Uh, so, so first of all, I want to know how competitive it is, uh, you know, to kind of see and to see if we have a shot at being the principal nominee, if, if it's under, you know, either option two or option three. Yeah. So no matter what you're talking about, though, you want to make sure you get ready for the interview. Uh, so the, the way that the member of Congress normally does it is they have uh, uh, a committee that that they put together. It's, it's not the congressman who's going to interview. It's normally a committee of people. Some some will be uniformed or retired military people. Others will be just you know regular civilians. Uh, the deadlines for a nomination are normally in the October time frame. They usually do the interviews in late October, early November. So you want to be able to get ready for that interview so that when you when you appear in front of the board in the late October, early November time frame, you're ready. Second is, you know, you, they're going to ask you to write some essays. So you want to make sure that you've got really uh, good essays. Uh, and th- those essays are going to be similar to the essays that they ask you for uh, at uh, in your service academy application. You know, questions like, you know, why do you want to be a military officer? Why do you want to attend a service academy? Questions like that. And then finally, just, you know, you know, doing the best you can on your SAT, because the member of Congress looks at your SAT, they look at your extracurriculars, they look at your leadership, they look at your sports, they look at your rank in class, just like the academy does. Uh, so all of those things together, you know, you want to prepare for these, you, you know, that you want to prepare for uh, the nomination process in the same way that you prepare yourself for the actual uh, application to the service academy itself. Well, it's nice that they go hand in hand, and those are all really good tips. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so, you know, knowing kind of where your playing field is at is really important. And, um, you know, and, you know, applying, as the academies recommend, applying to multiple nominating authorities for the most part. So, you know, like you mentioned earlier, Trish, applying to your your member of the House of Representatives, but then also applying to your two senators. Yeah, definitely. Now, you know, what would you recommend to a student who's interested in more than one service academy? They haven't quite made up their mind between, let's say, Annapolis and West Point. Well, I would say first is that, uh, you know, your member of Congress may not have enough. Your your member of the House of Representatives, which is your fir- always your first choice on where you get a nomination from, may not have enough uh, nominations to give you a nomination to both, say, Air Force Academy and the Naval Academy. So you're definitely in that case going to want to apply to your two members, your two senators also, to enhance your chances of getting a nomination to to uh, to two service academies. Um, so I can tell you, in my case in New York, um, it was very competitive for all the service academies. And New York is a very populous state, so it was very hard to get one of the two senator nominations. I, I didn't even apply for my two senator nominations. So when, uh, so I asked to get a nomination to the Air Force Academy and to West Point, and my congressman at the time said, you have to choose one. I can't give you a nomination to both. Wow. So I chose West Point. I know that's a shock to you, 
But I, <laughs> it is a shock. <laughs> but I applied. I got West Point, and um, you know, he gave me that that nomination. But you know, if I maybe had applied to my two senators, I might have, uh, I might have gotten a nomination to the Air Force Academy. I don't know. Yeah. You know, but but if you're like in a low population state or a middle population state, like say Nebraska or Colorado, well, Colorado's more populous po- populated now, but you know, New Mexico or something like that, you definitely should, you know, there's no, nothing to be lost. I mean, there's nothing to be lost in any situations, but, uh, you know, you're more likely going to get, you know, a senatorial nomination from a middle to low populated state than you are with a high populated state like Texas, California, Florida, and in New York. So, you know, you definitely want to, you know, you know, definitely put, throw your hat in, particularly if you want multiple nominations. Definitely. Do you think there's any strategy in terms of impressing the interview panel and in decisiveness and and or do you think there's a strategy in saying that well I'm I haven't quite decided and I, I want some more time to decide between these two institutions? Yeah, that's the type that's um a really good question. Um I would say you definitely want to say what your top choice is and what your second choice is. Uh yeah, I mean you may want to you know, work it in such a way, let's just say you're applying to your two senators and you're a member of, and you're a member of the house, you may want to put your number one priority for your member of house with one service Academy. And then for the two senators, your the other service Academy. That's a really good idea. You know, so that therefore, you know, you, they, they get you that nomination to, um, to, you know, both. And, you know, you, you set your priorities, uh, you know, uh, differently for each nominating member. Yeah. So and that's one, that was one thought. When, when we're looking at the the representative versus the senators, it might be somewhat self-explanatory, but what, why is it that it's so much easier to get a nomination from a representative versus one of your senators? Well, the, you know, there's 435 members of Congress of uh, members of the house of representatives and it's based upon population. So it's a certain amount of population um, that uh, I think it's like 600 or 700,000, I think, uh, per, that's the average, I think, per member of the house. Whereas, you know, if you're in say California, you know, you're trying to get a nomination from an applicant pool from a total population of millions of uh, people. So, I mean, you have some, sometimes you have a dynamic, like say Vermont, where actually, you know, I think the population of Vermont may be like somewhere around less, a half a million or so. So actually, you know, they only have one representative and that representative represents less than the normal population of a, of a member of the house. So sometimes you have that dynamic, but it's a lot easier because you, you're competing for those 10 nomination, 10 nominations from, from less people. That makes sense. Yeah. So, um, so that's why, like, if you're in a state like Vermont, uh, you know, you got your two senators and your member and the member of the house, you know, 500,000 people total with 30 possible nominations. So the number of nominations per population is a lot, uh, uh, the ratio is a lot lower uh, at a state like Vermont than, say, a state like Texas that has, you know, a lot more that has, you know, so many nominations, only two senators, and it ends up uh, being 
a lot less advantageous to be a citizen of Texas than it does to be a citizen of Vermont. Yeah, absolutely. And that's probably also why it's so important to make sure that you come prepared for the interview to to really knock that out of the park, which we have another podcast episode on, which you can go listen to for interview tips. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, things like, you know, learning about the service, being able to talk about your experiences and things like that, you know, getting educated and is so important, uh, you know, when you're talking about, you know, interview prep and interview techniques. But yeah, definitely go back to our other, um, our other podcasts that talk about kind of interview techniques and tips um, that we have. So, um, Trish, I mean, I don't, did we want to talk about Merchant Marine, Merchant Marine right now, or did we want to wait on that one? Well, we can go ahead and talk about that. Okay. Um, with, with Merchant Marine, the main difference is, well, there are a few differences. However, the, the big difference is that, um, you are not only eligible for your local representative, but you're, uh, eligible for any, representative in your state. So if you live in a very large state, you know, you're potential we're talking potentially 50 people who can nominate you to attend the Merchant Marine Academy instead of just 3. Right. Yeah, and it's, you know, so it's so getting a nomination in the Merchant Marine should not be an issue. It base I mean basically, I mean because there's just so many opportunities to do so. Um so, you know, so Really, what it is with Merchant Marine is interesting. About a half of the Merchant Marine Academy uses the congressional nomination process, and then half is sort of just the the uh, Merchant Marine Academy chooses. So, you know, so in reality, I think if you look at the Merchant Marine Academy in whole, uh, getting a nomination is pretty easy uh, because you can get it from almost you know anybody in your state. And then they can give out, you know, t- up to 10 for each me- each member. And then, you know, uh, they don't have the, you know, the competitive principle or principle of numbered alternate. So re- it's really up to the Merchant Marine to make the decision on who gets in. And they also don't use any service-connected nominations, and the vice presidential nomination doesn't apply as well. So it really is, it's a lot more merit-based than the yeah. rest of the service academies. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you're, so you're not talking, so you're not competing against those people. So that is a big deal. So, you know, because remember a a quarter of your class is going to be coming from the, uh, is going to be coming from the service, meaning from either the prep school, uh, which is everybody who goes to the prep school. We talked about the prep school in a previous uh, podcast, most almost, you know, that they're, they're part of that pile and and then also uh, people who are you know serving in the military so so you're not competing against those people um, so that makes it less I think more of an even playing field and more advantageous for a person who's just in high school yeah definitely yeah that's what you want to hear as a high schooler student <laughs> yeah so so good so so merchant marine you know obviously there's less people that go to the merchant marine i'm trying to remember how many people they say i think it's like 600 or so um it's about 300 per class yeah 300 per class so it's about basically about a quarter of a typical service academy uh the the army navy and air force uh, class so a lot less but i think there's a lot less people that apply to the Merchant Marine than the other. And we're going to 
have a podcast here coming up uh, with an interview with a Merchant Marine Academy graduate where, you know, we'll kind of go into more of a deep dive on um, on the Merchant Marine Academy itself and what, you know, and some of the kind of neat things that uh, the Merchant Marine Academy has that I think differentiate it from the other service academies. Yeah, very excited about that. Yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah. So um, let's talk about um, this national waiting list here. Hopefully I'm going in. I know, you know, you know, I get excited about the, <laughs> about the national waiting list. Okay. So the national waiting list. All right. So that is 359 out of 1200, 359 out of 1200. Those are people who are not the primary number one person in their congressional district. Right. So 359 people. Now, that 359 people is broken into two categories. They're called qualified alternates or QAs, which is the top 150 by the whole candidate score or selection composite score who were not selected to fill a congressional vacancy. So that means they weren't the top person in their congressional district. So this may be, you know, let's say you're, you're, congressman made it competitive, you're a competitive district, you're not the top person according to the academy, but you know, when you're when you're one you're one of those 150 nationwide that was uh selected by the by the whole candidate score selection composite score, the top 150. And that was done by Congress to ensure that there was going to be at least 150 people that were going to get an appointment that was not going to be based on either being an athlete or being a diversity situation. So it's the, those 150 point, uh, those 150 appointments, in other words, are just order of merit solely, nothing else. That's exactly right. You can be a Martian and not be able to play any sports at all. And you can be one of those top 150 people, right? Got it. All right. So now what are the rest of them? So that is 200 some odd candidates uh, are what's known as additional appointees or AAs. All right. And so 359, I got to get out my calculator here. Great. So 359 minus 150 359 you probably can do this in your head because you know at the you know i needed a calculator at west point to do this 191 209 oh, 209 209 so 209 people are what's known as additional appointees all right that can be selected by the academy with without regard to their whole candidate score or their selection composite score. So, Trish, who are these people? Um, recruited athletes and minorities. Yes. So that means that that now why why is why do we have so many recruited athletes and they suck up a lot of those two hundred nine slots? Well, the um, with the each service academy having significant amount of Division One athletics, uh, there's a uh, a lot of recruited athletes. Yeah, a lot of recruited athletes. I mean, you got a field that 
football team that, you know, that Air Force Academy football team that can win the commanders in chief <laughs> trophy each year. You got to have right. the, the women's softball team, the women's tennis team, the men's tennis team, the track and field team, the, and by the way, they're all division one sports, right? That they have to field. So a lot of those 209 are going to be recruited athletes. Now there's also diversity, right? Because we want our military to look like uh, our society. And those are laudable goals. So, you know, we want to make sure that, you know, that there, there are that, that those folks, right. And that we round out our services to reflect uh, what our service is, what our services is and what our population is in our country. So there's a lot of diversity that uh, also remain part of that 209. So recruited athletes, and diversity suck up a lot of those 209. So Trish, if you're a not a minority and not a recruited athlete, uh, or I should say diversity, if you're not, you know, whatever the diversity is that the academy makes a decision of, uh, yeah. and you're not a uh, recruited athlete, where does that leave you? I mean, as far as, you know, uh, getting an appointment. In, in some ways? Um, you, you know, I think it makes it a lot more challenging in terms of the merit-based system um, with either, you know, you're the principal nominee, you have the highest whole candidate score, or you're pretty high on the national waiting list, which means that you probably need to be focusing on your SAT, ACT test scores. Right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, so the dynamic that you have is, is is if you are in a competitive district, let's just say, you know, the district that I have in Albany, New York, and you're trying to get into West Point. And, and the way that my congressman did it was through com- the competitive nomination. So I, so I was not a, com- I was not the principal nominee, in other words, the top person that West Point considered in my district. So that eliminated me from that competition. So then that only gave me the opportunity to become either a qualified alternate, meaning the top 50 from the a whole candidate score for West Point or an additional appointee. And so I was not a QA. So that means I wasn't in the top 150 versus WCS. So what happened with me was I was an AA. So I was selected uh, not due to my WCS, but due to other reasons. Now I was not a recruited athlete and I don't believe I was a diversity hire. So our diversity, um, I definitely wasn't diversity. So the reality there was that I snuck in as one of those 209, I was the unicorn. (laughs) <laughs> the two the person who wasn't diversity or recruited athlete who got in on the A. Now I'm not saying it's not impossible, uh, you know, because some of those recruited athletes are actually, you know, qualified alternates or, you know, they may be the principal for their, um, you know, district or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, so there is that chance, but it's just a lot harder. And I believe, you know, since I did this back in the stone age in 84, I think there's been more, you know, kind of diversity initiative since then, which has kind of necked down the uh, ability of somebody who's not a recruited athlete and not a diversity hire to really get in um, 
you know, to get that appointment. So the dynamic that you get in these cases is you get, you know, you know, if a person who's not in one of those categories, not diversity hire, not uh, a uh, athlete plugs their um, data into say the whole candidate score calculator that we have on our website and they fall into the 70th percentile or something like that. And then, you know, when they don't get the appointment, they scratch their head and they say, I'm in the 70th percentile. How the hell didn't I get the, get an appointment? Yeah. That changes it up for a lot of people. So what's, what's, I guess, a takeaway in terms of um, scores for people to shoot for? Yeah. Well, that's a great, because I actually did some data on this. (laughs) I love it when you do data. (laughs) Yeah, I did data. Now I'm not, you know, I know you're more of a data person than I am. I was a history major. So I don't know. (laughs) What what did you major in at the Air Force? I was actually a fuzzy major myself. You were? No way. What what, what was your major? International relations. Oh man. (laughs) Just like I was, I was international history. All right. So neither of us can do much, but I, I I know enough to manipulate a, um, Excel spreadsheet. So <laughs> thankfully there's some data through the Freedom of Information Act that I found online through this site called USMA data. And what I did was I crunched the numbers and found and determined what was the average SAT score for uh, a non-athlete versus a athlete versus a athlete who's a football player. <laughs> <laughs> Just to throw it in. Uh, all right. So here's the deal. Now, take whatever your average SAT is for the academy. If you are a non-athlete, non-diversity, you need to score 100 points higher than the average on your SAT to have a shot. Based okay. on what I, unless you're in a non-competitive district. So what I generally would say as a rule of thumb is if you don't have a 1400 SAT with a 700 uh, math score and you are in a competitive district, you are going to have a difficulty getting into uh, the th- the big three service academies. That is very good information to know. Yeah. Now this is something that the academies don't tell you. Yeah. You know, because, but, but, you know, I, and it's not really that well known by, um, you know, by, I think by the average person in the general public, but, you know, you've really got to, you know, score a lot higher, uh, you know, if you're in that, if you're in that Albany, New York district, uh, you better get a high SAT score. If you're, if you're not, if you're, uh, you're not a recruited athlete, not a diversity. So yeah. So for West Point specifically, you know, kind of shooting above that 75th percentile, which for the SAT composites, 1380 mm-hmm. and for the ACT is a 30. That sounds composite. right. That sounds right on. Yeah. That sounds right on 30 mm-hmm. ACT, 1400 SAT. Yeah. And you do that and you've got a shot at it. like this year, I have a candidate that I'm working with. Who's got a 720 math. Uh, I think like a 640 or 650 verbal, uh, which gets him close to 1400 and he's waiting. He's yeah. on the, he's on the net. He's not NLW clearly, even with those high scores. So he's in the AA pile not a, not a diversity, not, uh, not an athlete. Wow. So he's waiting right now. It's now April 9th. He may get in on an AA, but you know, it just shows you someone, you know, is high, high with a seven thirty SAT, you know, is still waiting. Definitely. You know, whereas you got a football player or an athlete, you know, who's, 
you know, got a 1200 SAT and they're in. So, you know, so we can call whether or not that's fair or not, uh, but it's the reality and it's why, uh, you know, why, you know, I think that there's this idea that goes around that the service academy, the big three service academies are, you know, impossible to get into. And I think that is engendered by the people through the years that fell into those alternate appointee categories that weren't able to get in. And they scratched their head when they have that 740 SAT math and don't get in and they chalk it up to the low admit rate at the academies. But I think through some previous blog posts and everything, I think we've kind of debunked that theory. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, the more, you know, the more, you know, that's right. So, the reality is, is if you want to get into the big three, you know, it's being a recruited athlete is a great way um, to get in and, and to, you know, to, to the service academy. So what else, what else we want to talk about, Trish? Well, you know, I think the fact that we discussed the scores is, is huge. And then also the importance of the interview and knowing uh, whether or not your senator or congressman uses a principal nominee or competitive nomination uh, and kind of basing your strategy off of that. That's, that, those are the big takeaways for me. Yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, I think that um, people should realize that most people get a nomination. You know, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, if you apply for a nomination, that is usually the easiest part of this process, in my opinion, in, yeah. in most cases. Now, you know, for example, like in, you know, I have data that shows, you know, let's just say, you know, the I have data that says like that a certain congressional district had 10 for the West Point, 10 for the Air Force Academy and 10 for Naval Academy. And then you say, oh, man, there's 30 people that have applied and it must be hugely competitive. Well, that doesn't I what I the data I don't know is how many people got multiple nominations. So there may be people who got, you know, of those 30, there may be duplicates. So you just don't know. Um, I would say there's a, a, a low, a minority, a, you know, a small minority of congressional districts where it's really tough to get a nomination, um, you know, to fill up that 10. But I would say in the vast majority, if you apply to the service academy, and maybe even if you list multiple service academies, that, that as long as you're a solid candidate, you're going to get a, a nomination, I think, through something. It's just a question of whether or not you're going to get that appointment or not. And if you're not a recruited athlete or a diversity, uh, you may get that nomination, but you you may not be anywhere close to an appointment. Yeah. Wow. So that's huge. So what do you? So yeah. Here's what I want to end on, Trish. What What about if um, we they don't receive a nomination? You know what 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 can a person do, um, and what you know if they don't get that nom? Yeah, I think you know keeping your head up and keeping your eye on the prize, right? So, one of the reasons that you're applying to one of these service academies is because you're interested in commissioning into the military, and there is a lot more than one way to commission into the military. So, having that backup plan is is huge. Uh, and we've talked about this in the past, you know, it could be that you reapply next year after a year of college. Mm -hmm. uh, another great option is to apply for the same time at our, for an ROTC scholarship. Yeah, absolutely. Those two, you get that 20 for ROTC um, that you can do there. You can uh, prep school, you know, that you can go through the service connected uh, now. 
you could also enlist uh, in the Guard or the Reserve, uh, get a nomination through that or go on active duty. So there's a lot of different ways um, to do that. And, um, you know, I think that uh, that don't give up and, you know, check out our other podcasts on ROTC to show you that, you know, that uh, those that want to get into the academy uh, can often do so uh, if they if they just give it another shot uh, and do a year of college. Definitely. So important so, to keep on trying. So, well, hopefully today, Trish, we didn't confuse the hell out of people. <laughs> I hope so. Because <laughs> it's tough. I mean, you know, should it be the question, you know, should it be should it be this difficult to get into a service academy? And And I'd argue with you that, you know, that you know, probably, you know, we need to go to what the, the Coast Guard Academy has, where, you know, you just, just like you apply to it, just like any other college or university, you know, but, you know, members of Congress want to hold on to their, you know, to their PR moments with their candidates they appoint. And so I don't think we're moving off this system, but this, you know, the Congressional Research Service, RAND, and all these other think tanks have looked at this system and said, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy complicated and yeah. overly complicated. Yeah, but um, understanding where you fit into the whole thing is very important. Yeah, I agree. But, you know, so knowing bureaucracy, we're not going to get any movement in bureaucracy anytime <laughs> soon. So this is the um, this is the uh, the system we live with, you know, as uh, as a, a famous professional wrestler said, whether you like it or you don't like it, learn to love it. So that's what I'm talking about. So because it's the best thing going. All right. So that's uh, that's an old school wrestler before you uh, <laughs> before your time, Trish. So, but uh, maybe the parents and the audience would understand who that who that uh, who that person is. So okay. So that's. I'm in I'm in kind of a crazy mood today, aren't I? <laughs> you are. Okay. Maybe I'm getting better at this podcasting. I don't know. But, but, <laughs> Practice uh, hope, makes perfect. Yeah. Hopefully everybody's enjoying this and um, having having some fun with it. But you know, just you know, reach out to us. You know, if you've got any questions, uh, you know, our website gainserviceacademyadmission.com. We've been working really hard on that site, uh, and you know, we got a lot of great information there. And you know, please reach out to us if you've got any questions. Thanks so much. All right. We'll see you. Bye-bye. Bye. You've reached the end of another episode of the GAIN Service Academy Admission Podcast. Connect with us at gainserviceacademyadmission.com. Love this episode of the podcast? Head over to iTunes, Spotify, or whatever podcast app you listen to to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you.